Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, Thought Leader listeners. This is Jack Sweeney, and we're hard at work producing new episodes of CFO Thought Leader. So please keep an eye on your feed. But today, I wanted to tell you about another middle market media podcast we think you may like. It's called Middle Market Thought Leader, and it brings you stories from C-suite leaders building middle market firms anywhere from 10 million to a billion in size. It's a podcast that explores how businesses grow and reinvent themselves over time. You can subscribe to Middle Market Thought Leader anywhere you get your podcasts. The latest episode features Robert Douglas, CEO of BioConnect, a Toronto-based firm that's developed an intelligent biometrics platform. Listen as Robert shares his three lessons for hypergrowth. Now, a sample episode of Middle Market Thought Leader. adjustment was I can think back to the first eight employees who worked in my basement and I think about the type of people who came in to participate in that real startup phase and then when we started actually becoming commercially viable it required a very different leadership style of the company and then if I forward wind to where we are today and I look forward to what the next 30, 24 months look like the, there's, a, there's a material leadership upgrade that needs to occur at the same time as we're running the business, and a, a much greater attention to specialization and technical knowledge. So the, the, the transformation of the culture, which we seek to keep the same, but the transformation of the, the resources and the team members um, as we hit these different levels of growth has, um, has really been, you know, has been and continues to be a, a leadership challenge. From Middle Market Media, this is Middle Market Thought Leader, where we speak to owners and C-suite leaders of mid-sized companies about how they're growing their businesses. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Robert Douglas, CEO of BioConnect, a technology developer whose offerings enable enterprise software solutions to consume biometrics for identification and authentication. Rob's been involved with multiple high-growth firms during the course of his career, and on today's show, he shares three lessons that he's learned over the years when it comes to achieving hyper-growth. Those lessons and much more after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, 
clear and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Speaking to Robert Douglas, CEO and Chairman of BioConnect. Now, BioConnect has developed a technology that enables enterprise software solutions to consume biometrics for identification and authentication. Now, I'm certain Robert can explain better than I can the offerings as well as the opportunity. So first, let's welcome Robert. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Jack. It's my pleasure to be with you. Rob, we always like to begin by discovering a little about our uh, business leader guests and their past. And uh, your resume has a number of uh, interesting middle market uh, stories on it, uh, one of which is uh, uh, a stint you did with uh, Siebel Systems, which during the time you were there, I believe it was during its awesome growth years. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind recapping a little bit about your uh, tour of duty at Siebel and then uh, from there to BioConnect. Uh, yes, it'd be my pleasure. In fact, it's um, it's interesting to me that you brought up uh, cable systems. Um, I've had the opportunity to work at so many um, high-growth uh, software, enterprise software companies, uh, but Siebel in particular really stands out for me. There's three lessons that I learned about hyper-growth, uh, which I'd be happy to share. These are pillars uh, that I use in in my own business uh, life as we build our company. Excellent. Please, please do. Uh, the first is brand. Uh, the power of brands to scale. Uh, the second is the network effect. Uh, Siebel Systems was written up in the Harvard Business Review in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, they did a case study at Harvard about scaling through partnership. And I happened to live through that experience and learn what the playbook looks like when you're seeking massive scale. How do you build an ecosystem and build a network effect? And then the third uh, piece that I learned and have taken with me is it's all about product and it's about customer driven product that in fact that there's uh, technologies that are built based on markets based on technologies or based on customer and Siebel Systems did a, just an excellent job of being very close to and his product management team is very close to the customer so that the, the subtleties of what the customer is seeking it translates into what the products and technologies that uh, they built. So um, that would be those three uh, pillars, I, as I said, are uh, stuck with me. And I think we're, without question, uh, three ingredients that made Siebel Systems the fastest growing tech company in the history of technology back in the late 1990s. Now, I don't know if uh, all our listeners recall uh, how Siebel grew or uh, even knew of Siebel Systems, but maybe you can, um, could you share with us what, uh, during the span of time you were there, the type of growth that was experienced? 
I can. In fact, um, I joined the company when, when it was 180 million and um, worldwide revenues, and uh, stepped down when it was 2.2 billion. Uh, and it, it did all happen in four years. And um, it really, um, you know, obviously there's technology companies since that time that have rewritten the rules of, uh, of growth. But at that time period, in the late 1990s, Evil Systems was the fastest growing tech company in the history of tech. And uh, hyper growth uh, was based on those three elements. It was based on a management system that was very focused on KPIs. It was very focused on customer-driven KPIs. And uh, you know, ran the business like a year end every 90 days. So every 90 days was like a was a a virtually a top to bottom review of the company, and making adjustments and assessments and pushing forward into the next quarter. Uh, this was um, part of the playbook of the company, and uh, it rewarded its uh, employees very well for achievement, uh, but had very high expectations of performance. Okay, then, uh, post Siebel, can you chart for us your journey to BioConnect? And uh, I'm assuming you're, a, I believe you're a founder there. Is that right? I'd be happy to. And yeah, yes, I am the founder. And uh, what got me to be the founder was I was the CEO of a public company called BioScript, which was the mar- in the mid-2000s was um, uh, the market leader in fingerprint recognition technologies worldwide. And I led the sell of the company in 2007 to L1 Identity Solutions, a Connecticut-based uh, billion-dollar identity company. And after selling the company, I, I remember attending a, um, a security trade show in 2007, walking the halls, which I'd been through that, that event many times, and thought, this industry is never going to get it. It is never going to get or make the transition to what we call rightful identity so that we've got certainty of identity for all transactions we do. And that was the moment when I concluded that this is going to be my contribution to solving a problem that affects the world. And, um, and it's a problem that's not getting solved, which is how do you bring and create a future of one person with one identity for every transaction that they do and completely move away from these credentials that mankind has created, whether it's a password or a, HID card or whether it's a credit card or a key fob, how do we get rid of all of this and replace it with actually who you are to authenticate your identity? And in so doing, our basic thesis was all 7 billion people on the planet want to be themselves to prove who they are. That's our thesis. Secondly, there's $3.7 trillion of the fraud in the system because people can masquerade as something they're not. And third, there's going to be several billion biometric sensors, sensors that will enter the market, and none of them can talk to the world's infrastructure. So how do we use the biometric sensors that are in the billions to, to use as an authentication method of people for every digital and physical transaction that they do? And that began the, uh, the life of BioConnect. It started in, in uh, Rob's basement in um, early 2010. And... Um, We've uh, scaled up since then. Now, is it? Uh, uh, do you have? A, is it venture back today, or who owns the firm? Uh, it's not venture back. Um, it's actually owned uh, by the same. Um, there was the original. Um, there was myself as the founder and two original uh, board members and investors. And since that time, we've added six other uh, individuals to the company. So we're privately funded, and uh, we've not uh, taken any institutional money or venture capital to. Uh, to our company at this time, and we're now in our eighth year. Have you along the way adopted any 
sort of codes of ownership? Is there a reason you haven't uh, taken on any venture money yet? Uh, yes, I think the, there are several reasons. One is that uh, similar in the playbook of Siebel's system, Siebel never went the venture route. In fact, Tom Siebel would tell you today that he felt that that was one of the strategic right moves that he made, was to not take on venture capital in order to be able to have control over the destiny of the business and not be diverted by uh, venture-based uh, decision-making. And that was something that um, I remember him speaking about. Uh, we, we would, I'm not saying we would never, but it's uh, certainly not our preference. Our preference is to, is to continue to build up the company and participate. We could see ourselves engaging with uh, growth equity firms uh, along the journey, uh, potentially with strategics as well. Um, but at this particular moment, the capital requirements of the company, we've got the funding source in place through nine individuals, and it seems to be working quite well for us. So tell us, uh, size-wise, how big an opportunity is this? How, how large uh, do you expect the marketplace to be? Uh, yes, so the addressable market, uh, as reported by uh, third-party research firms, is forecasted to be $30 billion in annual revenue by the year 2020. It's uh, currently operating at about $15 billion um, and expanding quite rapidly. So that's the market size, and it's all about uh, biometric mobile revenue. So in other words, how do you take a biometric authentication system and connect it into your mobile uh, device in order for an enterprise of any size to be able to authenticate the identity of a person for any uh, digital application or physical application. So a use case of this example would be, if you're familiar with the RSA token, which there are many of them out there, an RSA token is a one-time password that people use to uh, authorize a wire transfer. Well, the thing about wire transfers that everybody knows is that they're irrevocable. Once a wire transfer has left your bank account, you cannot get it back. It doesn't matter what the error is. It is gone and will not return. So the certainty of identity for a transaction like that is really important. And I face that as the CEO of approving wire transfers of my own company. And so you can use a biometric authentication system like BioConnect where I can have a much higher level of assurance that it's robbed uh, before I let you know a million dollars get wire transferred out of my account. Um, so these are examples or other examples that are getting into your data centers or your co-location facilities. Your data center of every business is the area where all of your data is stored. It's actually the IP of your business. It's probably the most critical part of our company today. And how do you, how do you get higher certainty of authorization of who's actually even getting into the, the data center or getting into where you store your data? So there are many use cases uh, that are true across every vertical segment where people can upgrade to the real identity of people for their digital and physical transactions. So uh, I'm curious who you're likely to uh, – who's the customer now? It would, it would seem to me there could be uh, a number of <laughs> different customers, but uh, the Office of Finance, Risk Management, and IT all come to play here, I would imagine. Um, what would you tell us in terms of – They do. Yeah. Uh, who do you target? They, they, well, they do. I'm actually, those uh, roles uh, we do, another role that um, – we communicate regularly with is the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer. Uh, that particular role is, you know, dealing with the security concerns and protection of the enterprise across both the digital and the physical platforms. Uh, they are very common. Uh, also, innovation. Uh, interestingly enough, is that a lot of our customers use our technology 
as an authentication method for their application that their customers use. Um, and so an example of that would be a bank who's providing a commercial banking service to a commercial bank uh, customer. They can be using BioConnect to authenticate uh, to get on to access to their online application. So it's used internally within companies, but it's also used for their customers and consumers as well. I'm curious. And actually, one more question, if I may. Uh, you asked about competitive landscape. Please. There are 225 identity companies that we track. And what's fascinating to me is that just 95% of them do not actually capture the real identity of people. 95% of all of these identity companies have incredibly sophisticated software systems but the last inch between the human and the software is a token or a credential or something that you're not. And BioConnect is one of the few companies in the world that has built a platform for the enterprise that actually takes biometric sensory information about individuals to get much higher level of confirmation of the identity of the person. I'm wondering how large it is today. Uh, how do we get a sense of how large this company uh, has grown? Yes, uh, my pleasure. So yes, we are private, but I can give you an order of scale. Uh, we have over a thousand customers uh, worldwide. Most of them are uh, across the U.S. Um, we have today uh, over 30 partnerships that have integrated BioConnect into their software platforms and then take our technology into their ecosystem. Today, we're 60 employees and are forecasted to be 200 employees uh, two years this time. We always have a signature question where we ask for a growth obstacle that's been overcome. Is there any one that comes to mind for BioConnect as you grew it, as you got to a certain level, suddenly you had to do things differently? What might that be? Uh, yes, it's actually it's the leadership adjustments at different stages of the growth. So the first leadership adjustment was I can think back to the first eight employees who worked in my basement. And I think about the type of people who came in to participate in that real startup phase. And then when we started actually becoming commercially viable, it required a very different leadership style of the company. And then if I forward wind to where we are today and I look forward to what the next 30, 24 months look like, the, there's, a, there's a material leadership upgrade that needs to occur at the same time as we're running the business and a, a much greater attention to specialization and technical knowledge. So the, the, the transformation of the culture, which we seek to keep the same, but the transformation of the, the resources and the team members uh, as we hit these different levels of growth has, um, has really been, you know, has been and continues to be a, a leadership challenge. What do you ask about organic growth versus acquisitions. For now, is it organic growth and acquisitions are uh, certainly a possibility for the future or how would you put it? Yes, uh, we've been organic to this uh, date and uh, we're continuing on an organic path. Uh, having said that, we are have had conversations and continue to leave our minds open to the possibility of uh, acquiring technologies or acquiring uh, certain aspects of uh, the market, our market solution to help us uh, build it out faster. And uh, so we're open to that, but to date, we haven't actually made any, uh, uh, any acquisitions. Okay. You've remained private. You're not taking venture money. 
Uh, there are a lot of companies that tell us, you know, it, it, it does seem as though people come to a fork in the road and they make that decision. In any way, do you feel as though you've forfeited something by not accepting? I think, yeah, I think um, we've been, um, we're fortunate um, in terms of how we set out the company where we have capital sources available to us that continue to renew and invest and scale as we need them. So we're, we may be a bit of an anomaly where we've, we've sort of built those, um, those partnerships before we started so that we knew that as, as we would scale, there'd be more capital requirements and, and this um, community that we put in place uh, continues to invest with us as we continue to scale. So we may be a bit of an anomaly for, for many who don't have access to capital sources like that, you know, a venture method is, you know, very clearly a great way to do it. Um, so I think in our case, that's, that's how I see it. Um, I don't actually think from our perspective that we are uh, absence um, based on the execution plan we're working to. I do believe that as we go forward, we can see a scenario in the next, you know, planning horizon where uh, partnering with a private equity firm to scale the company and invest to, to scale it uh, at, um, at an accelerated rate and do it in line with the, the common strategy is very possible and very likely, and um, we're very open to that. I find it interesting, uh, sort of the early part of your career, you spent in uh, very large enterprise companies and perhaps later became the entrepreneur. Would you have been surprised <laughs> back then to learn that you would be taking an entrepreneurial path, or uh, did you suspect that was always uh, the path you'd ultimately take? I really, uh, I actually love that question because I do think it's um, it's a bit of an anomaly or it's not the common route. But in my 20s, I always knew that one day I'm going to go build a great tech company. And when I finished uh, college, um, I ended up in IBM. And, you know, that was sort of my first, um, you know, employment post, you know, post uh, education. You should mention and you were there 10 so years. I think that's a, that's. I mean, you again, you were building a career inside a large company, which, you know, if it was two years, I wouldn't mention it. But you were there for some time. So it's impressive. Thank you. And it frankly was um, um, it was a great way. It was a great opportunity to learn and build my capability. But I always knew there would be a day when I wanted to go build a tech company. And the reason why I ended up in Oracle and Siebel Systems is I realized later in my tenure at IBM that I'm built for high growth at Hydro Software, and the best way I'm going to figure out how to do this is I need to go learn from the best, and I need to go learn from what the Valley can offer, and that's originally why I moved into Oracle, and then and then uh, took over the leadership role within uh, Siebel Systems because these were these were uh, uh, soon to be titans in their area, all based out of Silicon Valley, and that learning has just um, has been you know very integral integral to the playbook that we use today. That's a Canadian company, but where are your, where are you headquartered? And uh, in terms of offices, what's the uh, the plan? We're uh, headquartered in uh, right in the city, uh, downtown Toronto. We have plans in 2018. We're going to be opening offices in New York and in San Francisco. And in 2018, we'll likely be opening an office in uh, London. And um, but our headquarters is here. We're right downtown. Uh, Toronto is. Um, you may or may not know this is the third largest. Um, metropolitan area, uh, I could say in the U.S., meaning New York is first, L.A. is second, Toronto is number third. So the ecosystem here in Toronto is 
is uh, very strong towards building out uh, technology and getting access to talent. And um, so this is where we're headquartered. And um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, most of our customer base is somewhere else on the planet and most notably across the U.S. Fault Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We'll have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. Does your finance department remain bogged down in the trenches using spreadsheets to accomplish complex accounting and finance tasks? This is no way to operate a modern finance organization. Blackline has the solution a finance and accounting end-to-end platform. It's finance, controls, and automation. It's time to reinvest your people's time and high-value activities and enter the age of modern finance. Check out a no-hassle free demo at blackline.com slash CFO. Okay, our final question. Over the next 12 months. What are your priorities when it comes to growing BioConnect? Um, there's the, the three main priorities. I'll uh, just mention them, and then there's a fourth one. So the, the three main are continuing to build out our brand, continuing to build out our uh, network effect or our channel or partner ecosystem or alliance ecosystem. And thirdly, critically importantly, is to triple down, quadruple down on the development of our technology. Um, This area continues to um, require a lot of investment and resources, and we continue to put great attention there. The fourth one, I would say, is that the type of customer that we're working with today are now the largest corporations in the world, and we, we as a company are doing more to scale up our ability to uh, deliver our, uh, our solution to these uh, large enterprise deployments. I think that would be the fourth fourth one that we're focused on in, uh, in the next 12 months. Robert Douglas, thank you for joining us on Middle Market Thought Leader. My pleasure, uh, Jack. Thank you very much. Hi again, it's Jack Sweeney. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Middle Market Thought Leader. Again, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And we'll be back very soon right here with new episodes of CFO Thought Leader. Thanks for listening.